Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Jonah and Ben Play Board Games with Friends. I am Jonah, not joined today by my co-host Ben, because I am joined by Patrick. Hello Patrick. Hello, hello. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Jonah. It's good to uh, talk to you again now that you're on the other side of the country. It's been a while. Yeah, and we don't have the distraction of Ben this time either. I know, it's just you and I. We can have a heart-to-heart. It's going to be great. That's right. We can talk about all the games that we love and Ben hates. With yes. No booze in the background. <laughs> right. So how's the uh, house edition coming along? Is it done? Done? Uh, almost done. So for those who don't know, I am, I live in a dome, and I am getting a cube attachment to my dome, uh, an extra bedroom and bathroom sort of combo, because I only have a loft in there right now, and it is it's been has been happening since last December. Uh, so almost ten months at this point. And uh, yeah, it's almost done. We have basically gotten everything done except for the washer dryer and a carpet. So within a week or two, I can move in, essentially. <laughs> That's very exciting. So you're turning the dome into an igloo, right? Yes, exactly. A backwards igloo. <laughs> <laughs> but it's nice. I'm actually trying to get a nice uh, gaming space going. I have a nice big front room, which you've been in, John, with a nice big table. And now... There's real floors in the room instead of just concrete, <laughs> and there's a lot more space for uh, to walk around and to have additional tables if needed. Because I moved out all the other furniture, mm-hmm. and I want some good gaming lights. Thinking of getting those hue lights so I can. Oh yeah, that'd be great. Make, just like make the them. diffused lights or whatever. Yeah, so they can be like uh, the ones that color change, so I can make it really bright for board games and you know more ambient for some maybe blood on the clock tower or stuff like that. Blood on the Clock Tower. I would love to play that again. I know. Someday, uh, supposedly, the Kickstarter will be arriving in two months. I have no idea how that is possible in the climate of uh, the shipping world today, since right. they haven't even fi- finished manufacturing, but we shall see. Yeah, well, look, they have my new address, and mm-hmm. uh, when it comes, it comes. Yep, yep. Uh, I'll right. celebrate by having more than two or three people over, because that's all yeah, I've had exactly. so far. <laughs> well, I'm glad you brought up having people over, because you played some games this week that I'm very interested in hearing about. Yes, yes. Uh, I did play a couple games. I Before that, uh, before the big game night that I had on Saturday, I played two games. One I played with you. Uh, yeah. It was a game you spoke about last episode. Yeah, um, I'm sorry that I had to run away for that. Uh, Jessica and I had a schedule mismatch, and I didn't have as much time as I thought I did, so I had to run over to grab her. Mm-hmm. Well, pick her up is what I should say. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I was uh, hoping we could have played it twice in a row so you could have really seen it, because you know, it only does take like 25 minutes to play. Right. But anyway, uh, yeah, we played Bowl Treffer, the one where you start with no cards, and it's a trick-taking game, and you build your hand. And yes. What do you think? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I don't see the strategy yet. Uh, I know the strategy there. It just it hasn't clicked in my head as to how you're supposed to play this game. Mm-hmm. But I enjoyed playing it, and I want to try it again uh, to see if I can kind of figure out how, what avenues you're supposed to pursue in this game. It was very tricky for me to figure out which, how to build your hand, and then should you be going for the when to go for points because going for points 
not is not always the best thing. If you have too many points, as you know, you wrap around back to a lower score. So, right, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's an interesting game that uh, I do want to try. Yeah, we'll we'll play it again in the next week or two. I mean, it's so easy to get a game together. It's so quick and online, yes. and mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll get another one together. And then I also want to play Cat in the Box with you. Yes. So maybe we'll get in a good trick taking session. Yeah, that'd be neat. That one sounds really cool as well. How does that play online? Uh, it plays very well. It's you know the same website, PlayingCards.io, mm-hmm. and the I'm just gonna call it a mod. I guess it's a room. I don't know. Just you know, tabletop simulator mm-hmm. uh, words. But yeah, the the room for it is very good, and you know, all the cards are suitless. So you know, you just have the numbers one through six and five of each of them, and yeah, it works out really well. You just drag a little icon to cover a number and the grid on the right, and it's very easy to see everything. So yeah, it works well. Is that another game where the strategy is not apparent when you start playing? Yes. <laughs> That's good. I like games very like much. that. I, li- I like to kind of figure it out as we go. Yeah, I mean, if if every game that I played I figured out on my first play, I probably wouldn't play games as many times as I do. Yeah, good point. All right, so uh, Voltraffer, what else did you play before your big game night? I played Furnace, which is a new engine builder game. Uh, Furnace is a game about buying old, buying up factories in like a turn of the century industrial revolution type setting. Uh, doesn't matter what the theme is, you're buying things that create cubes and turning those cubes into points. Typical uh, style game that you've played a million times. The draw for this one was that it's an engine builder, which I just like in general. Mm-hmm. But it has a cool bidding mechanism where you have these little disks that are numbered one through four. And on your turn, in the opening rounds, when you're bidding on new properties, you put one of these disks down on a property that you want. The next person could put a disk on a different property or a higher numbered disk on that property. Kind of like Liar's Dice rules. I'm not familiar with Liar's Dice, but... Okay. (laughs) Could Uh, be. Go on. So, and and you keep going around, and then whoever has the highest disk on the property will win that one at the end of the round. But the people who have lower disks will get the bonus of the card X number of times, where X equals the number of your disk. So you might want to collect these bonuses during bidding, or you might want to win a bunch of cards. And that's kind of a cool balance there with, okay, do I want to lose a bunch of bids so I get a lot of resources to start this round? Or do I want to gain cards for my engine and get less resources to power them? You've got to find a happy medium there. So that's kind of cool. But after that bidding round is over and you just have your tableau of cards, they're just turning cubes into points, and it's not as interesting as I hoped it would be. Mm-hmm. So a bit of a disappointment. did you play with? We played two. Uh, it's supposed to be better. The bidding is supposed to be better with more than two, for sure. Right. And I can see that. But the fact remains that the engine building aspect was uninteresting. Mm-hmm. It was it was fine. I mean, if you never played an engine builder, this is a fine engine builder. But there are better games out there. I pre- much prefer Gizmos. Uh, sort of the same length and weight, but just a lot more fun and dynamic. So that was that's Furnace. Yeah, it's also the most Martin Wallace-looking game ever <laughs> that is somehow not a Martin Wallace game. <laughs> yes, right? it does have that art. Yep. <laughs> uh, 
I am going to just mention a trick taker that I played last week that I didn't mention last week. So I didn't More trick takers. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I actually did get to play both uh, Voltreffer and Cat in the Box this past week in person. So that went well. Uh, I already talked about those. We already talked about them, so whatever. Um, but last week I played a trick taker called Anansi. A-N-A-N-S-I. Now, Anansi is a trick-taking game that has a changing trump sheet, which is really interesting. Uh, it also has fantastic art and is easily accessible, which is a big draw to this game. But in Anansi, you are telling stories, and the way it works is when someone plays something, you can play a card to follow suit, or you can play a card as a follower. And the card that you play as a follower is going to move up and be in that suit. So there are three suits, and the follower card that you play will add one to whatever suit it is. And whichever suit at the top has the most cards in front of it is the trump suit. So you can change what the trump suit is every round by playing these follower cards, just you know, changing which suit has the most out. I see and then it's also interesting because the cards that you play as followers will have either one little head icon or two on them. And it's the higher numbers that have those head icons on them. So I think, I believe the numbers were from 1 to 14. I forget because it was a week and a half ago now. <laughs> but the higher numbers have those little icons on them. And when you play those as a follower... They go up to change the trump, like I said, but also you will get one person that's called a follower, just a little card called a follower, for each head on that card. So if I play a card that has one icon on it as a follower, it goes up to change the trump, and then I will get another little card, which is just someone who's listening to the stories I tell. Mm -hmm. And what that is, is your bid. And there are bonus points for hitting the bid that you have bid. So taking the number of tricks that you have bid. So you can play a lower card as a follower to change the suit without bidding anything. And you could also play higher cards to change the suit while bidding a lot, but also using up your high cards that would win you those tricks that you are bidding and saying that you would win. Okay. I see. Uh, so yeah, that is Anansi. I thought it was really neat. It was... Not as neat for me as Voltreffer and Cat in the Box, but I also mm -hmm. only played it once. Uh, I, I say this is scout level of neat trick taker. Okay. So, you know, cool trick taker, definitely would play it any time, but not a favorite. It's got really cool art I'm looking at it now. It's awesome, it's, isn't uh, it? Yeah, exactly. And the cards in person, according to the people I played with, are these like really nice foil cards and you know just really shiny and pretty? Oh, uh, cool! And I think that the brings like a lot. Fifteen dollars, ten dollars. Oh, it's nice. It's cheap. Yeah, uh, Ben has bought you know regular playing decks more than it costs more than that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was looking at a playing card deck that Ben brought over to my place during the game night, and it was really impressive. Very beautifully made deck of cards. So I see why he likes them. Yeah, does he uh, does he use them or just keep them in their boxes? 
Uh, well, you'll have to ask him that, but I think you know the answer. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah. what else I, so after, uh, it's time for the big game night, which we only played three games, so it's not that big a game night. They were pretty big games. First one was Nemesis. I'm sure a lot of people have heard about Nemesis. It's essentially Alien, the board game. Uh, this big uh, thematic game where everyone is a member on a spaceship in the future where you wake up out of cryo sleep and you have no memory of what happened and the ship is falling apart and there are aliens trying to kill you and then you have a uh, you have a, a goal that you need to accomplish in order to win the game as well as not die <laughs> so it's a uh, there's a lot going on but the mechanics are pretty simple it's really just ex move into a room see explore that room, you know, see what actions are available, maybe fight an alien, maybe, you know, grab some items or do various things like that. The resource you have to do this with is these action cards that let you do various things, and each action costs a number of cards. So you may spend one card to move into another room. You may have to spend two cards to move silently in another room so that you don't generate noise, which allows aliens to find you easier. Or you may have a card that lets you do something crazy like lock all the doors in a room and that may cost, have you discard X number of cards to do that action, for example. Mm -hmm. So it's like card management and you're trying to manage your cards well for the round, just, uh, you know, just trying to accomplish your goal and trying to help uh, people get the ship back together and hope that they're not trying to betray you. Because some of the goals are... Um, a, some of the goals could be bad for some players or all players. For example, my goal at the beginning of the game, and you have two to choose from, one of mine was to kill Ben, make sure Ben does not live. <laughs> so then I guess these are secret goals. <laughs> they are secret goals. I, was, I chose the other goal, which was just to get the ship to go back to Earth. And uh, didn't work out well for me or anybody else. The game is surprisingly hard. And I don't know if that's because we got just the... Uh, the randomness of the draws and the locations of where things were and the aliens that came out made it hard, or if it just is that base level of uh, difficult. But it was still fun to play, even if it was hard. And it does have player elimination. So Greg died, you know, first. How soon into the game? Uh, the game took about three hours. Uh, Greg died towards the end, because then I died maybe two rounds after that, and then Ben died right after right after that <laughs> so it was it was everyone was engaged because by the time greg died the climax was happening you know we were just like trying to eke out the, the those last actions to do what we had to do so greg you know got to watch a little bit then i got to watch a little bit and then the game ended so that wasn't a problem in our game but i could see it being a problem yeah and you know it's such a such a big Kickstarter stylistic game. So, you know, was the production great? Was the art awesome? Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, the production's great. The, the minis are great. The first player marker is awesome because it's a cat in a spacesuit floating out in space. <laughs> you know, it just, all the little touches were very nice. Um, I don't know how much it costs, so I don't know if it's worth the money. I mean, for me, <laughs> for me, it looks like, you know, a $100 game for sure. But who knows how much it actually cost? Uh, yep, the 
the all-in pledge was 133 pounds. Oh, okay. So like uh, 170, I think. And I'm not sure what Greg has. This is Greg's copy, so I don't know if, if he has Kickstarter components or not. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, that's definitely the draw of the game, too. It's There's something nice about having a beautiful work of you know craftsmanship on a table that kind of oozes that theme that you want from a game like this. So all that was great. Uh, but it still has to be a good game. I, I, I think Nemesis is a... It was a good game. I would play again. I think it has its flaws, and I think the flaws could be apparent in other sessions more than it was in our session, which is something to look out for. Mm -hmm. But overall, I enjoyed the experience. That's great. Yeah, uh, I have some friends in Australia who have played Nemesis, and I know they really enjoyed it when they played it. And just, you know, as a big immersive experience, you know, to like really get into the theme and... Mm -hmm you know, pretend like you're on that spaceship. and It seems really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And then just speaking of uh, basically this movie as a game, mm -hmm. uh, two things. One, I think there are a few games that we just say it's basically this movie. So <laughs> this, we just say is Alien. Yes. Uh, Cerebria, we say, is like Inside Out. <laughs> okay. Yep. And then I'm sure uh, Forbidden Desert or Forbidden Island is just like Indiana Jones. Or no, I guess Lost Ruins of Arnak is just... Lost Ruins of Arnak with Indiana Jones. Jones. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then on that topic, some friends of mine here, uh, two Saturdays from now, are going to do an all-day Dune game-a-thon and then go see Dune in theaters that night. Oh, that's cool. So which, uh, which Dune games are they playing? Uh, I think they are going to play the one from like 30 years ago and then just uh, the, the one original. from a year or two ago. Okay. And then I think Dune Imperium as well. Okay, that's all the ones I know. So <laughs> Yeah, same with me. So that's what I think those are them. <laughs> I was more curious if they're playing that original one, because that supposedly take could take a very long time. Yeah, I think I think they are. I will find out and report back to you. Are you so you you are not joining this Dune game day? Uh it is Canadian Thanksgiving this weekend and uh -huh. we are doing something for that with Jessica's cohort but two of her cohort are out of town this weekend, so we're doing it next weekend. Oh, okay, got it. So no, I will not be doing that. I will be making brisket and some vegetarian things as well. Cool. <laughs> uh, I played, just before you get back to your yeah. big game night, uh, I played The Crew Mission Deep Sea, Yes, I was excited to hear about this one. The long-awaited sequel. I mean, long, what, a year later? <laughs> a year and a half Right, later. I know, right? It's not that long, but... <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the crew Quest for Planet Nine is this fantastic cooperative trick-taking game that I love, you love, everyone we know loves, and it's just such yes. a cool game, so unique, a cool story woven throughout, and really great missions. You know, there are 50 missions in that. Mm -hmm. So they changed it up with the second one. I believe there are like 30 or 32 missions. And the story is, of course, going deep into the ocean instead of far into outer space. Mm -hmm. And the mission types are wildly different. So 
in the crew number one. I'm just going to call them number one and number two. Uh, so in the crew number one, you'll have a mission that'll say, like, take out three task cards, and this one might have to be taken first and this one second. But those mm-hmm. task cards are just an individual card that says, you know, I need to win this card or I need to win that card. And that's it. So they really changed that up with this one. And let me, can I tell you a few of them? Yes, I've seen some pictures, so it won't spoil it for me. Okay. So what's interesting is the way the missions work in this is it will have a number next to it and you draw cards that have a number on the back, these are just difficulty ratings until you have cards that sum up to that number. So mm-hmm. the first mission has a one next to it. So you're just trying to find you know, a, a mission that has a one difficulty rating, which is mm-hmm. crazy easy, of course. Right. And then you know a two, you might get two ones or a two, a four, you might get two twos, a three and a one, a four, whatever. I see. So you'll draw these cards and they will range from something very easy, like I need to take a two right. to something difficult, like I must win a trick that some, so we played a three player game and it's a different thing for each player count on these mm-hmm. cards. The difficulty rating is different as well. So oh, okay. one that we drew said, I have to win a trick and this is in a three player game that sums to at least 23. <laughs> and if you do the math on that, that's a 9, and 8, and a 7. Yeah, yeah. So that was one of the harder ones. Uh, two other ones that we had were... I have to win more tricks than the captain was one. Um, another one... I'll, just exp- I'll say two more. One was I have to win a trick where all of the cards are greater than five, and I have to win a trick where all the cards are less than seven. Okay. You get those two in the same hand, which is uh, difficult. Yeah. So, interestingly enough, there are actually interactions between these missions that might make it impossible. So, okay. it will tell you if something is impossible to do, and you'll have to just draw some new ones. But... My opinion, we played six missions of it, and I think it is nowhere near as good as the first one. Oh, wow. I was, yeah, I was pretty disappointed by it. I still want to play more of it, and I think it's neat that they tried to change it, and they did some interesting stuff in that change. Mm -hmm. But one thing that I think is lost in this change is the ability to communicate well. So Hmm. if I need to win a trick that sums up to 23 or higher, Mm -hmm. I need to win a trick with probably a nine. Yes. And I need to take an eight and a seven either in the same suit or I need to take the eight and whoever else has uh, something else is short suited and can play another high card from a different suit. Yeah. So there are all these really interesting interactions and possibilities on these new missions, but I just don't see a way to communicate well to try and complete those missions. I see. Another one was, I have to win a trick where all the cards are odd. How do you communicate to people 
you know, <laughs> once per round that you have an odd lower of that same suit. So the communication rules have not changed from the first game? The communication rules have not changed from the first game with the exception that the... What were they called in the first one? Dead zones? Oh, yes, where you can't tell if your card was high, low, or... Not right, so only. they have a new type of communication restriction. So they still have the... You can only put it on the card. You can't say high, low, or only. They have another one where you have player count minus two communication tokens, and that is how many times you can communicate in the entire round. So in a four-player game, there will only be two communications that round. Oh, for the total group. For the total group, yeah. I see. Hmm. Okay. I, I was very intrigued by the the way they were doing with the, what they were doing with the cards. I thought that was neat. Um, more for not the campaign, but just if you wanted to be like, hey, let's see how many cards we can do, like how, what difficulty we can do as a group, and not really right. do a story, just let's draw a bunch of cards and, and try it out. Yeah. So I, that sounds fun. But I was wondering how the story worked if everything was on these cards. Does the story just say do a difficulty one, then do a difficulty two, then do a difficulty three? Yeah, and it... I mean, it effectively does that. You know, just like the first crew, the first five missions are draw one card, draw two cards, yeah. draw three cards, and they shake right. things up with communication restrictions and stuff. Yeah. Uh, another thing, so I want to reiterate, I think it's really cool that they did these changes and, you know, tried to be ambitious with this, you know, twist on the game. But where that is kind of lost on me, again, is when you have a mission that says two difficulty, mm -hmm. um you might just draw... So you have the option to just draw different cards if you fail a mission. Right. And it's weird to me because in giving you that option, it loses all of its... Um, this isn't a word, tied togetherness. Hmm. So if I have difficulty... If we're doing something that's difficulty five, we can effectively bail on the cards that we were given because the rulebook says you can choose a different grouping that adds up to the difficulty of five. Whereas in the first, the crew, in the crew number one, if you're stuck on a mission, too bad. You know, figure it out. Yeah. Try and try and see what works and what doesn't work. And that's what I really liked about the first one. Mm -hmm. It does feel like 30 or 40 distinct challenges, you know, yes. uh, ignoring the first 10. Because those are, you know... Like, <laughs> the training missions. Exactly. <laughs> but in this, it just seems like it's, A, really hard to communicate toward the goals, mm -hmm. and B, it seems less, I don't know, it seems kind of disjointed since you can just change up what you're going for. Yeah, I was thinking that too, just knowing how the first game was and knowing what they were doing with the cards, yeah, if you if you fail a mission and you, next time you play, you can just pick different cards. <laughs> like, it's... Yeah. it's and you could get a lucky mission. You could get an unlucky mission. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, uh, but weird, I, cause how do you? I guess they balance each one with the difficulty. Right, right. But in the first one, it's like you can't win a trick with the one rocket. Okay, let's see how well we can do that. Or you can't yes. win a trick with a nine. Okay, mm -hmm. let's see how we can do that. Mm -hmm. But it just... It's a little too fluid for me. And the first game, the missions were almost thematic, some of them, where it's right. like, this, this thing is happening in the story, 
so this restriction or this goal makes sense based on what's happening and they can build it up uh almost like yeah they can build build up those missions because each mission you know they're they're writing each one instead of just drawing random cards to figure out what it is i see what you're saying now that i think about it yeah so it's you know it's definitely worth checking out it's Mm -hmm. I don't know how much it is, but it can't be more than twenty dollars. I know. I'm probably going to buy it anyway. I mean, yeah. So just, definitely yeah. buy it and try it. Also, I I thought the story was neat in the first one. The story is very bland and eh in this one. Uh, I mean, we've only read the first six, but we're just like, okay, we get it. <laughs> it's strange. Okay. All right. Well, bit bit of a disappointment to hear this. Yeah, I, I mean, I was disappointed to play it or to feel this way after playing it. Right. It could be just having such high expectations after the first one, but maybe uh-huh. they just caught lightning in a bottle with that one. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, the next game on my big game night list was Wildcatters. Yes, this is one that I wanted to hear a lot about. Yeah, so this one I, I thought you would like, and... It is a economic route building area control almost sort of game. There's a lot of different mechanics, but they meld really well together. I describe it, and a lot of other people do, as Indonesia, <laughs> it's, uh, but it's similar to Indonesia, the splatter game. Mm-hmm. And that is mostly because of the map. So this is your, your oil drillers. Wildcatters are independent oil drillers that are already on the map with their oil pumps. And you're building an infrastructure to drill for oil and to move that oil via trains and boats to refineries that you're also building. And there's no restriction as to whose refineries or trains or boats you can use. You just have to pay them in shares of your stock to use them. Hmm. So if you build a train, and I want to send my oil via your train to Ben's refinery. I have to pay you a share of my stock to use your train. And then Ben has to pay me for the oil that I give him. And everyone has shares in their own company. And that is kind of like the resource you're all trying to gather. Because at the end of your turn, you're allowed to buy these consolidation tokens, which give you a bunch of points. And what they do, what, what you need in order to buy them is a variety of shares. So the first one, you need two shares in every company in the game. And the second one, you need three shares of every company in the game. So they're just harder and harder to buy. So you're trying to diversify as much as you can by um, you know, using other people's refineries or, or having people use your infrastructure, etc., etc. That's just one part of the game because another big way of getting points is having a majority of oil refined in the different continents. So if a refinery is in North America, every oil barrel that's refined goes onto the bottom in this little group. At the end of the game, whoever has the most oil there will get a bunch of points. You're also getting points for buying out these wildcatter tokens that are on the board, which essentially are, like I said, they're independent oil producers that when when oil is drilled in that, that continent you get to there's an auction for them so everybody is auctioning uh their own shares to get that wildcatter token so there's you know um you get points for that and uh 
there's a few there's a lot of other little mechanics but it all flows together really nicely i think and once you get the hang of it the turns were pretty fast you only get seven turns in this game there's seven rounds and on your turn you just spend all your workers in quotes which are your resource for building things and drilling for oil and etc you spend them all to build stuff then you spend some of them to move oil around you trade shares you maybe do an auction and then the next person turn happens and that's a game that's really interesting. I'm I'm looking at it on Board Game Geek right now while you're explaining it to me, mm-hmm. and it kind of is sounding like a mashup, even though it predates both games I'm about to mention. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like a mashup of um, Smartphone Inc. and Pipeline. Because mm. okay. with Smartphone Inc., you go into the different areas of the world to go in those markets. Yes. Yeah. And then Pipeline because of oil. Yes, <laughs> I can see that. Uh, there's a cool mechanic in this game that I want to touch on, which is the loan mechanic. Mm-hmm. So you're, you have a start with a certain number of your own shares, and you get your own shares uh, every time you refine your own bottle of oil. So hmm. one thing that you have to decide when you're refining is if you send it to someone else's refinery, it's going to be good for the area control majority at the end of the game. If you send it for your to your refinery, you have the choice of turning it into shares or sending it out for majority, which is a very important choice because you need those shares. If you ever have zero shares and you're forced to spend some because someone gave you a barrel of oil to refine or you want to spend some to do whatever, win an auction or, or uh, buy something, you have to take a loan. Loans give you 10 shares, but then cost 25 shares to pay back at the end of the game. So part of this game is managing your own shares and being in a position where people can't force you to take a loan. Because there are points in this game where I would, for example, I had three shares left of my own and someone gave me two barrels of oil. So I had to give them four shares. So I had to take a loan in order to do that. Yeah, so it was a way of like forcing people to take loans, which is mean but interesting, but not mean in a horrible way. Like, none of us were, were felt bad when that happened. I think it happened to everybody except for okay, Candy. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to ask because A, Greg doesn't make mean moves, and B, yeah. it sounds like Ben would hate that. <laughs> ben had uh, two loans uh, that he could not, he could only pay back one of them at the end of the game, and uh, he lost points on the other. And uh, yeah, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't care. He seemed to enjoy playing. I think Ben said that he didn't know what he was doing strategy-wise, so he's just, you know, doing cool stuff. You know, building yeah, things. And doing, uh, yeah, exactly. So I think that was the attitude he had, and it worked out well. Uh, yeah, he he uh, had a respectable score. He didn't win, but I think he had fun. Uh, Greg and I, who had played before, uh, still didn't quite figure out the strategy, which is what I like. There's a lot going on, and there's, I feel like the more you play this, definitely the more rewarding it would get. Sweet. Yeah, I was talking to Greg the other day, and he was saying how he greatly improved his score from the first play to this play. So He did, yep. He must have really figured something out. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. just more players to beat up on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Greg beat me by two points, but then Candy, her first game, she won by a couple points on both of us. So, <laughs> yeah, way to go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's definitely a good one. I think you'd like this if you if you do have someone that has it, if you want to give it a shot sometime, you should check it out. 
the people I game with do in fact have it. And nice. I would like to give it a try. Cool. Yeah, so that was the uh, the two big games I played. We played one other small one uh, that Greg brought over um, called Abandon All Artichokes. Oh, yes, the classic. <laughs> it's, yeah, it was a fun game. It's a deck shedding game. Your deck at the beginning of the game is 10 artichokes. And it's essentially a deck builder where you're buying a card every round and playing your cards to do actions. But the goal is to get rid of the artichokes out of your deck because you will win when you draw a hand of five, which is what you do at the beginning of every turn, and there are no artichokes in it. <laughs> so you're getting these other vegetable cards that will get rid of an artichoke or trade cards or do various effects like that. And you're just trying to get rid of your artichokes faster than everybody else. Very fun game. Took 15 minutes. I enjoyed it enough to almost want to get it. Oh, wow. But you can my find this at like Target and TJ Maxx. It's like everywhere. Yeah, I, I would I would get it if I saw it really cheap. The only problem I have with it is there's not a lot of card variety. So I think you play right. it like you know a handful of times, and then you're like, okay, I've, these there's maybe five different cards in the game, so it's yeah, yeah, it's not much variety in it. But it's a fun concept. If they threw a, a bunch more cards in there, it would be better. I like the tagline: a heartless card game. <laughs> yes <laughs> yes that's great yeah uh, i have two other games to talk about i think mm -hmm. yeah i played chinatown this past week oh again chinatown oh no did i talk about it or i played it again i don't remember you might have told me separately but go ahead so yes uh, i played chinatown which is a game that simulates uh, immigrating to New York City and building up Chinatown, I guess. So it's a it's an interesting game. There is a grid, basically, of city blocks with squares in them. And at the start of each round, you are going to be given six of those spots, and you choose to keep four of them. And then you are going to be given different building types, and then you basically trade with people. Or at, at the end of that, build buildings and the buildings will be worth I guess I should say points the the buildings generate you income based on if they are complete or incomplete and by complete I mean a tea shop needs to have three tea shops touching so if you have three tea shops all adjacent to each other that is a complete set of three things and you would get the complete income for three things if you had you know, two tea shops next to each other, that would be an incomplete two. And then there's the florist, which needs four. There's the antique shop, which needs six. And you know, if you have the antique shop with five next to each other, that would be an incomplete five. So it still gets you some money, but you really want to get that last one. Uh, so yeah, Chinatown is just kind of a wheeling and dealing random game. It is neat. I'm glad that I played it in person after playing it online, but it still kind of felt a little bogged down. I think it went on longer than it should have. Have you played Chinatown before? I have not. It's it always intrigued me, um, as a in the way sidereal confluence intrigues me, where it's just purely about the trading. That's what right. I've heard. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would prefer sidereal confluence to this, hmm. and I only played that once. Okay, okay. So this is bogged down in, in what way? Is it 
Uh, I don't know. It's weird. It you know it moves at a reasonable clip. There are six rounds, and it's just you know at the end of the sixth round who has the most money. But I think that the trading phase takes longer than it should, mm. and you just kind of say when you're all done with trading. I. I I'm pretty sure sidereal confluence has the timed trading, right? Uh, sidereal confluence is the same way, where timing is not written in the rules, but some people do it. Uh, sidereal confluence it says when everyone's done trading but one person, then the round ends. Interesting. Yeah, it's so, uh, it's interesting because there's the money is hidden as well. So okay. you know, you you pay people to buy shops off of them, to buy properties off of them. And then you have your income at the end of each round. And you can kind of tell from the board who is making, well, you can tell from the board who is making the most money at the end of each round. Mm -hmm. But it's very easy to lose track of extortion that might have happened in the previous round. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, I see that me giving you this antique will net you $300,000 in the next three rounds. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to ask for like 250000 of it now. Yeah. And hope that I can turn that into more money in the long run. Yeah. Yeah, I can see. So how did your rounds end? Was it just like a pattern out of like, oh, is everyone done trading now? All right, let's move on. Like that sort of thing. Yeah, it was kind of uh, people got what they got and they saw where they wanted to go. And it was just, will you give me this for that? Can I get this for that? And yeah, I don't know. It was weird. Uh, one thing that I do find interesting in this is the decision space for what buildings to keep, what plots of land. Because um, if I see that you have, you know, let's say three of the florist, which needs four, if I get a number that is right next to that florist, I might take that spot, put my disc there, and then, you know, just extort you. Because you can buy me out of that spot, but also, as soon as I put a building there, that building will never change. I see. So I can exclusively take cards to extort other people, or I could take cards to do great stuff for myself. Right. And it was interesting because I had some crazy, crazy lucky draws in this game. And, you know, it, it felt good, but the other people just couldn't do anything about it. Hmm. You know, I was hoping one out of like 45 or 50 numbers would come out and I got it. You know, not only did it come out, but it was dealt to me. Oh, okay. And as another <laughs> player, it's just like, what do I do against that? You know? Right, right. Yeah. And that happened to me twice. Hmm. Okay. So, yeah, I think if it were 20 or 30 minutes shorter, I would have liked it more, but still a neat game. Okay. All right. Uh, you said you were done with games. Yep, because I only have one more. Let's hear it. All right. Um, I I think I told you about this briefly before as well, but I played Age of Steam again this week. Oh, yeah. I saw the picture you sent. It yeah. looks like a cube and a rail game. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> yeah, you are putting some trains down and taking cubes to cities. So, okay. yes. Uh I have played Age of Steam once before, and it was with Ben and Nick and Nick. I think it was just the four of us on Tabletop Simulator 
early in the pandemic and I'm quite sure it took three and a half hours. And okay, we yeah. all thought it was a good game, but that it took way too long. Yeah. So, was, go on. Did this game take that long? Um, this game did take that long, but I'm also glad that I played it again because I have held on to the idea in my head for the past year that I like Age of Steam, and I think it's a neat game. Uh, after playing it again, I still think it's a neat game, but I do not like it. Uh, it's There's this weird balance of being in debt kind of the whole time. You just increase your expenses and generate some shares. Or no, you uh, issue shares to get money. And all you use that money for really is to bully other people for turn order. Mm-hmm. And then also use it to build track. And there's a really interesting mechanism in this where you have the turn order that you are bidding on. First and second in turn order pay their full bid amount. Mm-hmm. Third in turn order pays half of their bid amount. And fourth does not have to pay their bid. Hmm. So the way the turn order shakes out is really interesting. Yeah. And then after that turn order, there are like eight specialty actions that you will select to take. And one of them is build track first. So instead of the person who's first player placing track first, you get to do it before they do. So you can block them. Then there's deliver goods first. So even though someone is first player, you get to do the delivery before they do. And then just some other ones that were neat and affected the game. So, yeah, I think those systems work well together. I also really like the idea of Age of Steam from a, believe it or not, food chain magnate perspective. Hmm. Uh, And by that, I mean it's a system. So Age of Steam has, I want to say, like 50 or 100. Someone's going to correct me on this, but tons of different maps. (laughs) Right. And each map has a different rule tweak associated with it. But it's all built upon the same game, like the same system of Age of Steam. So in this one, uh, whenever you delivered a cube to a city, you had to use someone else's train line as well. And when you use someone else's train line, they get a dollar out of it. They get an income out of it. And, you know, of course, normally you would never want to do that. But in this map, the Hungary map, you were forced to use other players' rails to get places. Uh, okay. So it was a much smaller map, and everyone was right next to each other and forced to use each other's rails as well, which made the calculations pretty interesting at the end of each round when you did the deliveries. Hmm. But uh, yeah, Age of Steam, neat game, neat system, not for me. This also took like three and a half hours, and it was too much. Okay. Yeah, I want to play... Maybe not Age of Steam, but I want to play one sort of Cubrel game at some point in my life, um, just because you know you kind of have to if you like board games, just to see right. what, the, what it's about. <laughs> I mean, I played like a, I guess like light Cubrel games, like uh, Whistle Stop or something like that, yeah. where it's it's not the same, but mm-hmm. still, it's, I like that game. I mean, interesting idea. Yeah, have you played Russian Railroads? I know Greg has it and quite likes it. No, I have not. 
There's none. I know Rich has it too, or wants to play it, or likes it. So yeah, I should get a game together. Yeah, I'm, I know Greg will happily do that. He's told me that he plays with his family, and it's a great little game. Okay, that's nice. Okay, that is all that I have played in the last week. Yes. So, Patrick, why don't you tell us all what your topic of the week is? The end. That is the my end. topic. <laughs> no, it's how, uh, how board games end. I thought of this while playing Nemesis, because Nemesis has weird end game conditions, conditions that trigger the end of the game or just a, a way a game comes to a conclusion. And I thought of a couple categories to categorize games in, maybe talk about them and see what we like or don't like. Um, first one is just uh, a set number of rounds. <laughs> yep, that was yeah. my first yep. one as well. The game is always the same length. And uh, the, what I, the plus of that is you, know, you, you can plan what you're doing because you know exactly how long you have to do it. Uh, that's one plus. One minus that I find about games like this is you could know you're losing or know you're winning or know kind of what the conclusion is but still be forced to play out the rest of the game. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, in this uh, category of this topic, so, you know, Gaia Project and Terra Mystica both have the same number of rounds each time. Mm -hmm. But one game that came up for me that I, I wasn't sure how to categorize is... Sulkin, Sulkin. I don't know how people say it anymore. And the reason for that is you have the cog in the center, and I think it's like 24 days or 28 days, whatever. So it, the game is one full revolution of that, which I believe is 28 cogs. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like it's going to take the same number of turns every game. But when you take the first player marker, you are given the option once per game to rotate it two steps instead of one. Yes. So this is kind of a blend between when will the game end and I know exactly how many rounds there are. Yeah, that's a good point because I was trying to think of other categories besides the ones I've listed, and that's a good game. That's a game that doesn't fall into any of those categories because it's kind of a you know, like you said, it's an adjustment on on this right. first category here. Which is interesting, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, it's cool. And I mean, if all four people have used, or if all the players have used their once per game thing, then at that point it falls back into the "I know when this game is going to end" category. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of flirts with both, which is interesting. Right, right. So another common category is uh, a race to points or a race to something. Even just racing games, a race to the finish. Uh, more typically in the games we play, it's whoever gets X points first mm -hmm. will win or trigger the end game. That's uh, similar to the, the first category, the pluses and minuses. Right. Uh, but the, the problem with that is a, a game could take 10% uh, of its total time or 2,000% of its total time, depending on what's happening in the game. Like, there's right. no sort of like, okay, this game's going to take two hours. It's, it, it, you never know if you're racing to get points. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, some games have a, uh, and I know I'm going to be given a hard time for this, but in Food Chain Magnate, you know, when the bank breaks a second time, the game ends. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And you could say that's kind of a race. You know, it's can you break the bank twice? Because that if you have a strategy that works well and burns through the money, mm-hmm. it's going to end a lot sooner than other people who have a longer term strategy. Yes. Now that that brings me to the third category, sort of, which is a, a, a resource timer. When something mm-hmm. gets dropped down to zero or something is done a certain number of times, some sort of thing in the game that has to happen a certain number of times for it to end. People are going to think we planned these uh, segues here. <laughs> I know, right? Food chain magnet, I didn't think of that. That's a very good one. Uh, there's a, like Gizmos is one I mentioned earlier today where you have to build a certain number of um, machines to trigger the end of the game. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 something that the players are in charge of. And like you said, it's a, it could be a race to try to do that faster. Right. The one thing I like to that I would bring up here is that when Candy and I play games, we have the opposite strategy. I like to rush to the victory condition because mm-hmm. I know that she's very good at building these engines and machines. And the longer I let her play, the more points she's going to get. Right. So, my goal is to how fast could I end this before she gets going? <laughs> it's a very fun dynamic, I think. Yeah. Uh, space space is a very good example of that as well. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's what's good about these, uh, the different types of end game conditions for all these games, because they can mm-hmm. cater to different play styles as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right, what's the next one? Uh, next one is more for these like Ameritrashy games. That's when you have to uh, uh, destroy things, <laughs> mm-hmm. just just destroy your home base or destroy your mage's hit points or uh, something like that. It's a, it's killing killing the enemy. So the game ends when somebody is dead, mm-hmm. essentially. And I'm sure there are games that use that same mechanic that are not based on killing things, uh, you know, reduce your money to zero or whatever. But it's a more of a competitive direct conflict sort of way of ending a game. Right. Yeah. Uh, I told you that I played Samurai recently by Reiner Knizia. Yes. And I forget the end game condition, but I feel like it's this category. Is it when all of the hexes are filled up or when there's... I don't remember, to be honest. Okay. Well, honorable mention to that game fitting in here somewhere. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, I'm not so much a fan of these unless it's a two-player game. If it's a two-player game, then I don't feel bad beating up on my opponent. Right. Because <laughs> they're the only one to beat up on. Multiple players, you know, I feel bad maybe choosing who who's going to be, you know, you're going up against each turn or each action. Definitely. And, you know, this can be... It doesn't have to... I guess it's kind of killing. But in games like Star Realms, you know, you're bringing people's life counter down Mm -hmm. to zero and in star realms when you play it more than two players it's you know who do i deal this 24 damage to because you know i can split it up but i can also knock someone out of the game sooner Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah big difference for player counts in that one yeah do you have randomness slash unsure when the game will end as your next one uh not as my next one i did have that category (laughs) Uh, what's your next one uh, well, let's skip to that one. That's a good one. That's, that's games like uh, Ethnos, I was thinking, where there's an endgame card that's going to uh, signify the end of the, the game uh, mm-hmm. when you get your third dragon card that comes out of this deck. You just don't know where that card is. At some point, it's going to come up and end the game, and that's part of the 
fun is trying to think, okay, how far can I push my strategy, not exactly knowing when the game's going to end. Another one I know you like is Pax Pamir, where the, the uh, end game is determined on when that, uh, I forgot what the name of the card is. That has to the dominance twice. check. Dominance check, yes, which is based on when the card comes up. Yeah, um, Pax Pamir is kind of an interesting one for this because the game can end during any of the dominance checks. Mm-hmm. Because uh, in Pax Premier, if one person is ever beating everyone else by at least four points, they win and the game ends. Yes, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good so I have that category. <laughs> if dominance check one happens and someone is killing it, then it's just over. Mm-hmm. But of course, you have to keep everyone in check, and then it might take all four dominance checks. Mm-hmm. And then, interestingly enough, there is that rule where if there are ever two dominance checks in the market, it triggers a dominance check immediately. So you will have between one and four dominance checks in this game, not knowing exactly when they will come out, and also not knowing if one will be forced to happen. Yes. And that, that well, well, we'll touch on that category last. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, but real quick, let me jump into the next one. Which oh, wait, is, before you go to the next one, yeah, on yeah. this, speaking of Ethnos, uh, one of your favorite games has this in it. One of my favorite games. One of your favorite games. A game uh, that I let you have for a year. Oh, Soul. Thank you. That's, <laughs> yes, that's a very good example. Soul has that where you're waiting for that uh, uh, Solar Flare card, the 10th Solar Flare card to come out, and you just don't know when it's going to come out. Great example right. of that. Yep. Yeah, I really like this category because you have these tense endings. I think... I think mainly Soul just has this really tense ending because you actually have control over uh, the draw rate of the deck. Because in Ethnos, I think you only ever draw one card. You do, but you don't have to draw from the deck. So that's right. That's part of it. But uh, like if you're, you know the game is ending soon, you don't want it to. You can draw from the face-up cards. Right, yeah. I just mean in Soul how you can... Yeah, and Soul, uh, you can really hit that deck if you want yeah, to. <laughs> you can draw five at a time if you yeah, want, which yeah. makes a huge difference. And, you know, you see someone else has more points than you, and you start to do some dumb things, too, like throw your Sun Divers into the sun, <laughs> yes. get a point or two, and draw these cards and see what you can figure out. You know what's a good game in this category? It's Lost Cities, the card game. Have you gotten to play I haven't that played yet? it. It's essentially... Uh, well, I won't go into it, but you're trying to... Uh, kind of beat your opponent a la uh, well no I don't want to get into it because I don't want to explain this whole game but okay. the game the game will ends when the card deck is empty but you can choose to draw from any deck on the board and not the main card deck so part of the big strategy of that game is timing when how many cards are left in the deck and being like okay I have this many turns so I'm not going to draw from this deck so I can have all those turns and I'm just going to do other things. It's just another aspect of just understanding when the game is going to end and being able to control it a little bit. Yeah. So uh, the other uh, two categories. One is um, uh, objective-based. So this is kind of broad and this is where you have to do a certain thing to end the game, or to win the game. For example, a lot of war games have this, where it's like control X territories or 
take over this. One of my favorite games is that has this is Cyclades, mm-hmm. which is the Greek god, uh, sorry, uh, dudes on a map game where you're bidding for control of these gods that allow you to move your armies and control various islands, etc. And you have to build, you have to have two metropolises at the end of the round to win. And you can build metropolises or you could take over your opponent's metropolises. And that game always seems to have a really dynamic climax to the game. Mm-hmm. Because it's always like, oh man, this could be one big battle to grab this last thing I need. Or and if I fail, then the other person's going to be able to do it. So it's it's pretty cool how that one always seems to have a nice fun ending. Yeah. Uh, and strangely, Inish is in this category as well. You have mm. these three different victory conditions that you're going for. Uh, and it's uh, it's definitely objective-based as well, but it's kind of a strange rotating who can win, who satisfies this condition, who satisfies the most conditions even, because mm, you can have okay. multiple people satisfy the same yeah. condition. And I thought of this category as well, and you know what type of games I think fits in this category, believe it or not? What? Abstract games. Because oh yeah, yeah. Chess, the objective is to checkmate the opponent. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then in the uh, the GIF series, you know, Yinch and Sar and all yeah. those, there's always a can you do this thing? Yeah, have a certain number of circles in a row or whatever. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that's, yeah, a good, that's a good one. The objective based one I think is really neat and it lends itself to some really interesting moves, trying mm-hmm. to negotiate your way into the winning uh, place. Yeah, yeah, I've I've always enjoyed games where I think Forbidden Stars was one that I didn't end up liking the game over over time, but I really love the idea of like I need to get this objective, and I could maneuver and throw all my resources and this like last ditch attempt to do it, <laughs> and if I don't do it, I'm gonna lose. But it's just very exciting to like try to, to try to do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Agreed. So the last category I have is for cooperative games, usually, and it is uh, sort of like um, a resource drop, <laughs> or so to speak, like when lose when to the game lose to the game. Yeah, I'm thinking like Battlestar Galactica or Pandemic or things like that. I was thinking this as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is kind of a broad category. I'm sure you could break it down if you really wanted to, but it's essentially yeah, the game has done something. And to you, and now the game's over. <laughs> right. And, you know, it, it could very well be your fault as well. Just, yes. you know, I thought of Hanabi with this one. Because, oh, yeah. you know, if you make three mistakes, the game ends. Uh-huh. And that was on you. Whereas in Pandemic, it could be, you know, the epidemics coming out that you can't really control in time. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah, agreed. Now, this one's a fun one. Uh, I can't think of any competitive games, really, that utilize this mechanic, but... In cooperative games, it's yeah, it's all over the place. I want to say, and I haven't played this game, but based on what I know about it, I feel like CO2 by Lacerda could have mm-hmm. this in it. Okay. Because I know in CO2, everyone is like kind of working together to make sure that the Earth doesn't die from the carbon dioxide, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. So everyone is like trying to keep that okay while also working on their own stuff right right 
Um, I haven't played Terraforming Mars in not long enough, uh, yeah. but I know with the the temperature, does that affect the end game, or is it just a thing that is being tracked? I'm not sure. It's been a long time since I played that as well. We can ask Greg later. Yeah. Um, I think that that's all the categories I had, but I did want to touch on Nemesis, which is what gave me this idea. Nemesis has a lot of different endgame triggers. It's a smorgasbord of ways for the game to end. And that's one thing I didn't like, even though thematically it made sense. So in Nemesis, the game will end a couple different ways. 15 rounds pass, that's your hard ending. Or, if everyone dies, game's over. Yeah, if no one else is playing the game, it's done. <laughs> right. Or, if everybody has gotten into an escape pod or a hibernation hibernation chamber, nobody's on the ship anymore, the game is over. Um, and the, those all make sense, but then the then you have to determine who wins the game from there. So I thought that was kind of cool because thematically there's a whole bunch of different ways to end it. And it was just a neat... Uh, yeah, it's just it's just a neat uh, trigger triggering mechanism. Mm-hmm. Now your objectives in that game are really what makes it more interesting. So when the game ends, you don't even know who's won until you all look at your objectives and see where the ship went and see if you're infected and et cetera, et cetera. So there's this whole end game procedure after that. <laughs> right? But, yeah, I, I can only imagine. It reminds me of uh, Argent the Consortium. Oh yes, Argent is a fun uh, end game procedure as well, where it's very dramatic of like revealing all these things and seeing who wins all the votes. I like that. <laughs> yeah. So in Argent the Consortium, for those who don't know, there are uh, let's I don't know, I'm just going to throw a number out there. There are 14 cards out there that will tell you how you will score points, and they're all face down. So you can play the whole game not knowing what is actually going to get you points. Or you can take some of the actions that let you check one of those cards to see something to work for. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't matter what you see because you are going to score all of them, right? Yes, you will score all of them. They are, they are people who are voting for you. And they will vote based on different criteria. One will vote whoever has the most money will get my vote. Whoever has the most magic will get my vote. Whoever has you know, the most whatever will get my vote. So you know people like certain things. We don't know, you know, who's out there. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Until That's a really neat game. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, one thing that I don't like about some of these game endings uh, is when you have to check a lot if the game is over. There's some games where you have to be like, okay, at the end of the game, let's count up this. Let's look at these couple conditions and see if the game has ended. All right. It has not ended. Let's continue and do the same thing next round. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. A lot of these different game end conditions bring a lot of upkeep baggage with them, yes. right? Mm-hmm. You know, because mm-hmm. play for five rounds, okay, easy. You don't need to think about it at all. But right. you know, checking every round, it's like, okay, go to this, go to that. Yeah, Arkham Horror is a good example of that. I really enjoy Arkham Horror for that big in-your-face. Uh, you know, once a year Halloween experience. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but there's so many ways to lose in that game that you have to check them all the time. And like last time we ended up playing, 
we were playing and thinking we were doing well, and then we're like, oh, wait a second. We are one away from losing on this one endgame condition that we forgot about. <laughs> and, yeah, that's just, just too much upkeep that caused that to happen. Yeah, it's, it's weird when games have something like that in it that needs to be player-tracked the whole time, mm-hmm. especially something so big and swingy. Uh, that yeah. reminds me of Dominant Species, because in Dominant Species, the... Uh, the dominance of each hex changes, you know, all the time. And that has huge implications. And if you are looking at the game state and it's not accurate, you know, you, it changes everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like you said for Arkham Horror, you know, if you, if you don't realize that you're about to lose, (laughs) things are a little strange. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, for my personal preference, I like, I, I not, I'm perfectly fine with the games having a set number of rounds, but I really like the the ones where you control control the speed and where it's clear when the game is going to end. Mm-hmm. So I like, uh, I mean, Space Space is a great example um, where you know you just got to get forty points, and uh, once forty points happens, we finish around and that's it. And but getting points is you know you could happen slow or it can happen fast, etc. It's just a yeah. Uh, and then Gizmos is the same way. You just got to build a certain number of machines, and then the game ends. So you can go really fast if you want. You can take your time, and you know, because whoever builds the most machines is not necessarily going to win. So you may trigger the end game and then lose. <laughs> right, <laughs> which is fun. I I actually, despite not loving randomness in some games, I do really like the random ending of some games. Uh-huh. I just really enjoy the tension that that creates at the end with you know who's winning and will they still be winning next round? And is uh-huh. there going to be a round after that? Right. So, you know, we mentioned soul and ethnos, but one game that I want to say counts for this is raw. Have you ever, you've played raw, right? I have. Yeah. I don't remember so, the end game though. So, um, raw takes place over a set number of rounds, but when the round ends is determined by how many of the red raw tiles have come out of the bag. Oh, yes. So you can choose to continue the auction and risk ending the round or, you know, call the auction. And, you know, it's good that we're talking about this now because Ben doesn't love this game and he doesn't think the decisions <laughs> are interesting. But I think not knowing when that round is going to end is really neat. Yeah. Yeah, and it's you know it's the same thing each time. So I guess you know when the game is going to end, but you still don't know when in that round it will end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just played a game of um, Spirits of the Wild, which is this cool two-player game where you're pulling gems out of a bag and, and kind of like using these action cards to collect sets of gems onto your board. It's very cutthroat for a cute little two-player game, and the game end condition is when a certain number of gems of a particular color come out, the game ends. So it's Mm. like, you know, you're, you're constantly deciding who should is now a good time to draw a lot of things from this bag to end the game. You know, when I'm potentially in in the front or do I want to like push a little more to get more points and let my opponent control the end of the game, you know, getting that last turn is very important. You want to have that last turn before, you know, giving control back to your opponent, which is cool. The art on that game is fantastic. That looks so nice. 
Yeah, it's a very nice game. I, I, I definitely recommend Spirits of the Wild. When did you get it? I didn't even know you had it. I've had it at, uh, I got it at Gen Con a couple of years ago. It was, it was made by Mattel, believe it yeah. or not. <laughs> so it's probably, it was cheap at the time. It's still around. But yeah, that's actually, it looks cute, but it's a very thinky cutthroat game. I think you'd like it. Yeah, cool. I will add it to my want to play. That does it for today's episode. Uh, we will have a random end time to this episode, keeping in theme. Uh, no, I don't know. Patrick, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for the great topic as well. Yeah, thank you, Jonah, for having me. It's been a lot of fun, and I hope uh, I hope Ben comes back soon because uh, you know I can't do this every week. That's right. <laughs> Don't worry, you're off the hook for next week. I'll wrangle him. Right. All right. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening, and thank you, Louisa, for the great music throughout. Have a good one.